0: alcoholic? Yes. Does that make the newcomer stick? Uh, grateful oh. <laughs> grateful. This is so much fun. It must be really hard on new people. I was uh, pretty gloomy when I was new and I didn't really like it. and by the way, I I, uh, I wanna congratulate you on this celebration. It really it's really it really is nice looking and the vibe is good, and parking is terrible. <laughs> I was like, oh, I ran here, But uh, this is a beautiful old club, and I, I was listening to the some of the remarks before. I'm actually two years. Uh, thank you. Oh, that's beautiful. See, my drinking from the bottle days are, you know. Thank you. Preferably it would be crystal, but this will do. Three days to get mad about it. (laughs) Then I called my sponsor. (laughs) But you know that's the way it goes. But anyway, so I went to my first meeting that day, and I'm sorry, I'm fat, and I'm wearing a bikini. And the reason for the bikini was I didn't know I was really going to go to the meeting. I didn't know I was really going to get sober that day. Did not know it. I had this crazy brain, and it was June, which is sort of overcast in California, right? A lot of times you don't know what's going to. So, and I had these crazy sleeping habits that you get, you know, at the end of your drinking, as you hit that, the bottom of what they used to call the gel curve, because there's a whole physiology to being an alcoholic. There's a whole physiology to having a body that won't let you drink at a certain point without paying a terrible price, you know. It's like, I mean, what they used to say is that if you're an alcoholic like us, Nancy, they said, you have... A body that says, I'll kill you if you drink. And you have a mind that says, I'll kill you if you don't drink. (laughs) You know what I mean. And so what happens to us in our fellowship and by learning to live this way of life is we we learn to negotiate that and to make peace there. And we surrender. Okay, 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 I cannot drink anything. And I can't take anything that's going to do my work for me. I've got to be a person show me how, right, so but anyway, so I, so I didn't know if I wanted, I didn't get sober, what does that mean, you know, so I have this black eye and I'm fat, and I don't know, I have a meeting directory, because I had been to a meeting the day before, which I'll tell you about, and I had this meeting directory, and actually the day before was so appalling, I mean, I might as well tell you right now, I hated my first meeting, it's just terrible, just terrible. And all first meetings are the worst, aren't they? I mean, the very first meeting, it's it's like all the pink and white people of the universe show up. And they all saw me coming with my eye. And that morning, I had put, I knew, you know, I was drunk, I was crazy. But I knew I wasn't beautiful. I knew that. I knew my face was out of balance. So, I put a lot of makeup on the other eye, so that my eyes would match. And when you have that Maybelline vodka treble going on, it's hard. So, I just kind of was doing the deal, and I just overdid it.
1: And then I realized it was, and I had to correct
0: that, so I put makeup on my black eye. Ow! You know, so by the time I left my little Laurel Canyon rock and roll pad, man, I looked like an animal coming out of the Hollywood Hills. And I and I wore clothes that could have gone on their own if I'd given them directions and money. You know, because I was so cool. And then I and I have to take, have to take off my speaker jacket now. This was just to show you that I was already covered, but now I'm. Now I'm gonna take it off. Don't don't let me forgive you so I went down and I went into this, the first meeting, which is all these squeaky, picky white people and they're all so noisy. Not unlike the happiness filling the room this evening. And the, and the one thing I really hated about the first meeting was how early it was. They started at noon. <laughs> I didn't know anybody who was out at noon. You know, I have, I've been out at noon for years. Noon. God yeah yeah. so so I was in a bad mood before I got there with the whole noon business in the eye and and I walked in and there were all the pink and white people at the first meeting now I don't know where they go to meetings but they're always in first meetings right and they all and they all were waiting for me they they had plotted this thing because when I showed up they all said the same thing they all said exactly the same thing this is what they said Hi. It's like they're so glad to see me because I look so good. Hi. We're so grateful to be sober. And those two words grateful to be sober. The those things were capital letters. same thing. And then they popped the question, they all asked the same question, they looked at me with those patronizing eyes, and they said, are you new? <laughs> so, and, and as a result of that, I got my first sober feeling, which was resentment. <laughs> yeah. So it was like torture until the darn meeting started know, because you have to hang out and be sort of friendly? It'd be very painful to be friendly when you're a new, crazy, wet drunk. So anyway, the meeting unfolded, and I didn't want anything. I didn't hear anything. Didn't want anything. But I left the room that day with uh, with a with something that brought me back, and it was a, a mental picture of the woman who was who was leading the meeting, and I don't know her name. I never have met her since June 27th, 1976. Oh, I wish I had drunk with you. Look at that. I've got two <laughs> Yeah, go to the rafters. They'll teach you right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so I was in this meeting, and but the woman who was leading the meeting was absolutely beautiful. I'll tell you that this is why I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous. It wasn't because I was looking for God. I wasn't looking for a better way of life. I, di- I didn't intend to stop drinking. But what brought me back was booze and this woman who was so beautiful. And I, I don't mean that she was beautiful from the Lancome Special you know, or Estee Lauder. She was beautiful from the inside out, which is something that you can't even inherit. You get it, one day at a time. Men and women become beautiful here. And you know how we look when we're in the center of the deal. When you're in the center of the deal, there's something powerful about a sober alcoholic. And they don't even need to know that you are to feel that, you know? And this woman's demeanor and expression and the vision of her brought me back to Alcoholics Anonymous the next day in my bathing suit. And there was this big drunk in between there, you know. So, I, well, well, I was actually a little drunk. My last drunk was a stupid drunk. I left that meeting, that new meeting. I couldn't wait to get out of there. People were chasing me down the street. Give us 90 days, just give us 90 days. I had little paper phone numbers blowing out of my hands. And, no, I don't want to call you. And I went and I bought a bottle and I took it back. I was right when I two, my two last friends, and I use that term friends loosely. I, was, I ended up, you know my companions were at the end of my drinking life? There were two gay men who were drug addicts. And they didn't drink my wine and they cleaned my house. <laughs> I laughed, someone understand. had had a big life before then, and you know, we all had, right? So I took my bottle after this AA meeting up to one of these gay guys' pads, and he rented a pad in, in Hollywood Hills. Supposedly, some of these old-time movie stars haunted it, and, you know, we used to have lots of drunks talking to haunted old movie stars. Anyway, I just took my bottle up there and put it down and started drinking out of it, and he's sitting across the room from me, Sipping and snorting and beeping and honking and doing his drug deal, you know. And I'm drinking and talking, and I got this relationship, right? And uh, and all of a sudden, he took a break, and he looked at me, and he said, You've really got a drinking problem. <laughs> 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 but you know what? It, it just, it was, that was nothing. That was, I, I wasn't halfway through that bottle. I wasn't halfway through that poem. I really wasn't. But after he said that, there was a big shift in my foundation. It was kind of a wordless, just a collapse. I know you know, I know that each person who's here and intends to stay has had a moment, that last drunk, where there's the shift in your foundation. And you just, you know, they call it being sick and tired of being sick and tired. They call it the, you know, the, where you just, you know, you know, the pussy. I had that. And I got up and I left a bottle two-thirds full. A moment of
1: silence.
0: <laughs> Isn't that sad? Or, you know how we are you used to do cleanup all the time? I always clean cleanup at the parties. Oh, I'll clean up. I don't mind cleaning up.
1: <laughs> we get a little
0: fussed about up sober, but drink it, not So anyway, I walked out that day, and, and I came back the next day in my bikini, and, and you know, I, uh, that was my first sober day, and I didn't know it was going to be. It was June 28, 1976. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's an absolute fantastic journey in Alcoholics Anonymous for each one of us. And, and to you new friends, I don't know what's going to happen to you. I don't know what your sober life is going to be like, but I know that it's going to be good. Because I, that's what I know about people in Alcoholics Anonymous. We live beautiful lives. Even sometimes when the bombs falling out. Isn't that the magic of it? The bomb falls out sometimes sober when you're right in the middle of the deal and you laugh your way through it. Come on, you know. It's just like another woman. It's beautiful. But I was never headed here. You know, I was never headed here in my conscience was not to come be a sober woman in alcohol anonymous. Never, ever, ever. I was a star. I was an artiste. I had, you know musical things to say and do and you know this was not my plan i I was born in glendale and i I used to say i grew up but i've never grown up yet so i was born in glendale and i say that i'm a born alcoholic because this is my theory now there's 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 nancy's ideas and there's AA ideas you'll just have to figure out which one of which Drive you into the brook when you go to speak of me. I'm a born alcoholic because my mom carried me for 10 months. <clears throat> I was in the womb going, No, no. And I had my little fins pressed up against the uterine wall going. Drinking and I, and so I started. I got tired of trying to be good, I just got mad. I got mad from the primordial place deep in us where we suddenly look around and say, Hey, this sucks. (laughs) You know, it happens a lot at 13. And I was just in the bathroom at Catholic school going, This sucks. And I had that adolescent rage. You know what they say about adolescence? They say that when you turn 13, (laughs) aliens enter your bedroom and they take your brain and they bring it back when you're eighteen well they, they missed my place <laughs> so anyway, so I'm, I'm thirteen, I'm too tall to have a boyfriend in at Catholic school and I'm a geek and I don't know anything and so I started running around with the other gangsters in Catholic school and. Uh, <laughs> And I wanted to have some fun. And so we did. And we had that vodka and orange juice in the bathroom. And that first drink, oh, my goodness. Just beautiful. The first drink that gives you the relief and the fun. Man, I was a fun drunk for many, many years. I truly loved it. Believe me, believe me, if you're new, if there was that kind of fun in my body, I would never have come to AA or stayed here. But it's gone. They told me that it's gone and there's no reverse on our disease. Once the train is rolling, there's no reverse. It can't be cured. We can only treat it with total absence. So, but that went, yeah, so it made me feel really great right away. So that's how I say I'm a born alcoholic because it really worked. It wasn't what it was doing to me, what it was doing for me that made all the difference. And I looked in the mirror with just a little vodka in me, and I looked in the mirror and hey, you know, I was cute. <laughs> I had big zits, but I was cute. Not chested, but cute, you know. And I didn't look like TA then. It was always like you with the pretty blonde straight hair. That was insane. So, but I, you know, but it didn't matter with the vodka. I was cute, you know. But more important than being cute was the feeling that you know I have learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, I had guts. Because I was just a scared kid. I was a scared kid. But when I had the vodka in me, I had some guts, had some courage. Then the bell rang went back to religion class and I turned my will and my life over to that experience of this vodka in me. And the next year I was in public school, you know. <laughs> My mom was kind of, you know, I I was uh, I was uh, too much for my mom. You know, she dealt with the other two, and there I was, just I was just burning rubber through my mom's life. Yes. I'm in public school now. I'm ratting my hair really high, so I look like a bad girl. You know, scary. They used to rat their hair really high and put razor blades in the hairdo to be ready. I was just scared to put razor blades in my hairdo. But I wanted to look like it was terrible, like it was going to happen. And And I wore tons of makeup. You know, we had the Elizabeth Taylor black eyes and and white lipstick. Do you remember the white lipstick? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's coming back. Uh, (laughs) Everything else came back. Became a thief, I started to steal. Now, our literature talks about people like me and the victims and the angry ones because we think the world owes us a living. Guess what? Nobody owes me anything, but I had to find that out in Alcoholics Anonymous. I did not know that. At first, I heard it through a funny share. Somebody was talking about putting a note on the refrigerator for the alcoholic that she lived with, and it said, Dear, uh, Dear Joe, I don't know you anything, it's love, God. <laughs> but I mean, I, I didn't know that. I thought I was cheated, and I was mad about it. And I became a thief to take what I wanted. And, but I was a nice thief. I, I didn't steal from my friends. <laughs> I, I fancied myself, uh, you remember Robin Hood? <laughs> yeah. Robin Hood stole from the rich and gave to the poor, didn't it? It was a nice, like, I will help you, except I was a half-measure Robin Hood. (laughs) I'm stealing from the Broadway and Macy's, and it stays right here. (laughs) Yeah, and we're all laughing at this, you know. They so beautiful because we discover the laughter of our lives. So, anyways, I'm and I'm also a bad high school student, terrible high school student, mm-hmm. breaking my mother's heart all over the place. I saw my first therapist when I was 15 years old, and it meant nothing to me, absolutely nothing, because I already i decided how I wanted to live. I discovered the coffee houses in Hollywood. Now, when you're growing up and see red, Glennia was a redneck little bird back in the '60s. So running away to Hollywood was fabulous and and the coffee houses in Hollywood, well I gotta tell you because so many of you are so young and I get to do this now because I got some miles on me, but I get to tell you that the coffee houses in Hollywood were not Starbucks. (laughs) They were dark little joints, yeah right? Yeah Jim knows, you
1: remember.
0: They were dark little joints where there was much smoke in there, and you stuck to all the furniture. You stuck to the walls, you stuck to the furniture. And it was great. I loved it. you know. And there was all these other people like me and you. All the other losers were in there. There was like artists and writers and politicals and people on the outside, the people who have that special thing inside that says no. The, the outside people. And that was, it, it was kind of like, you know, uh, before a picture of the A. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm just telling you the way it is. Somebody asked me when I was new. they said, who do you think we are? I said, I don't know. They said, we're the people you drank with. And sure enough, you are. I understand you perfectly. We look at each other and we barely mean to say, how was your day? We just know. There yeah, you're right. He's going to meet again. He looks at you. Yeah, I do how his day was. <laughs> they don't do that out there. Some of them do. But we have a, a certain special thing. And I've always hung out with alcoholics and addicts. I just love us. I never tried to be a social drinker in my whole life, ever. Never tried to put on the dog and clean it up. I just knew I was on the edge and that was it. So here I am, a young kid, running away to Hollywood all the time with these coffee houses and sing. The greatest thing that was there was the music. Now, I'm a singer. I'm a born singer, musician. God gave me a gift. I think he gave me music until I could find a drink. (laughs) 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 Because music has pulled me through my whole life. meant everything to me. So I'm in these coffee houses. Great people, great atmosphere, great ambiance, and the best part is the music. The music of the 60s, which was just tearing it up. This is rock and roll now. This is the birth of real rock and roll, right? It's just coming out of the 50s ran into this thing and it becomes a voice, becomes a people's music. I don't know if it's still in that, but it became, it was our voice. And the war, and the women's movement and all this stuff is going, well, I didn't really know too much about that. But what I really loved was the atmosphere of protesting. I did. It's a kindred spirit. You know, in the 60s remember you could just open your door and if you listen really carefully you could hear someone somewhere screaming, no <laughs> everyone had a everyone had something. So I loved that atmosphere and I love to go to these peace marches and have drugs and all. So that was my scene. That was me. Standing around singing Puff the Magic Dragon and But <laughs> you missed those days, huh? <laughs> yeah, baby. So I met these musicians in there, and I was about to graduate from high school and my life changed forever. There were just crazy musicians. They, they were the first, before the word multicultural was ever invented, these musicians appeared. It's a wonderful group in a little coffee house called the Scarab. It sounds like scab, doesn't it? The scarab. It was down by LA City College, and they were all jammed in there, and they played everything. They had a cello and bongos <laughs> <laughs> and they had a violin and a flute and a lefty guitar. guitar, and all kinds of percussion they were doing it they were doing it and they had every color skin everyone was colorblind in this band it's beautiful and I wandered in one night and I just oh, I was sucked into this cacophony of sound man which is beautiful, beautiful. You know, like Chuck Berry and these guys have been jamming with three guitars and drums forever. Now this is a rock and roll jam with these instruments. <laughs> it was so much fun. Checking out the cello for the hippies. <laughs> but I'm getting ahead of my story. They were called Jay Walker and the Pedestrians. And I stood up in the middle of the room and I started singing with them. I just sang right out of the center of me where I lived. And it was beautiful. And we really caught it. We just caught it. We just did it. Beautiful.
1: <laughs> then we actually
0: played a real gig once. but <laughs> It was so hard to stop and start. <laughs> too many people, too many keys. <laughs> wow. But... <laughs> Eight of us broke away from Jay Walker and I got bumped out of Glendale High School. They said, goodbye, I never come back here again. Here's your degree. Which I can hardly read,
1: right?
0: Eight of us broke away from Jay Walker. And we set up in a little house in Silver Lake. Little Italian family. Second generation Italian family. In other words, they came from the old country and they had the old country life there. They had there was a, the shop, the T V repair shop and the house. It was a neighborhood place. I mean really you go up to the front door, over the front door it's a big sign with red letters. Anthony's TV and Lawnmower Repair. <laughs> so we're gonna be rock stars from this place. Though. So you walk in the door and the first room is the TV repair shop and there's every kind of TV and radio going back as far as radio goes. Just everything, floor to ceiling. And there's bicycles, and there's roller skates, and there's lawnmowers, and there's a cat in the corner always giving birth to kittens. And there's a... (laughs) There's a guy in the other corner with a soldering gun and a cigarette his whole life. 30 years, this guy's a... They walk into the next room, which is a little yellow kitchen. And this is like the heart of of the house, right? Yes? Heartbeat, the kitchen, and there's always coffee on the stove, and there's wine on the table, and there's Italian cookies, and there's one wall with floor-to-ceiling pictures of the kids, and awards and ribbons and stuff. It's like a home here, and it's Anne and Anthony. Now they're like four and ten all the time, and they, and they, and they look up at me and they go, Oh, she's so beautiful. <laughs> taken into this home with a mom and a dad. See, I don't know about a dad. I'm looking for a dad like all my life till then, and now there's a dad there. Oh, she's a so beautiful. And then in the next room, we put the band. Okay, so there's eight, 18 to 21-year-old strapping guys, like some of the buff dudes in here tonight, right? These kind of guys, all filling up this little living room. We broke the couch, we've got drums in there, we've got amplifiers in there. There's no room for me, so I'm singing back in the kitchen, right? And this band was born like that, in Silver Lake, in this little house, you know? and we call ourselves Sweetwater, and we just went from there to the whiskey go go You know, people say there's no such thing as an overnight success. Yes, there is, and it depends on the time. It depends on the time. It's like God said, this is the way it's going to be with these people. And he took me out of high school and he dropped me into the whiskey Go-Go where we opened for Janis Joplin, Big Brother and the Horton Company. Eleven record covenants came and bid for us. That never happens anymore. So we're history in the making, right? Yes? Beautiful. <coughs> Inside of me, I'm just like, I love this. I'm an alcoholic, you know, I'm crazy with this. I'm like, whoa, 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 it's great. We go on the road, we play everywhere, all over the country. We play all the big rock and roll levels in our country. We played all these big all this legendary stuff. We played it all. Everywhere. We played with all the rock and roll legends. I've got stories. I've got stories. What a marathon speaker I could be. They want to tell you about me, because that's where it works. That's how it works. Right? I'll just tell you my experience. I tell it inside of me, I had I was, this was too much. This was just unbelievable. This a success, because I had two things going on, and you might recognize this. On the one hand, I felt so much better than everybody who'd ever been mean to me. It's like you missed out, baby. I bet you're sorry you pushed me in the sixth grade, aren't you? You know. Yeah, just, But at the same time, I had a terrible fear that you would find out I was no good, that I was a big phony. And I, I, you know, we try to teach each other constantly that we live a life of love and service and moderation, yes? But I have this dramatic, crazy personality, so I'm either on top or on the bottom. And our literature describes that perfectly. I'm either up here or I'm down here. And so that's the way I'm handling this, what's going on with us. We were the first band to pick the stage at Woodstock. Oh, yeah. And they cut us out of the movie. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hate when that happens too. You know that the only place that's funny is a <laughs>
1: Nancy, part two.
0: if you have something and you stay in the chair we don't know what kind of blessings are going to rain down on you but they're going to come I also in that accident permanently lost the use of one of my vocal cords so I came out of this accident and I lost the only reason I had to live because I was a born singer I wasn't anything else there was nothing I could do or wanted to do and now I couldn't do that one thing. So what is that like? That was so bad I couldn't look at it. I didn't believe it. I had this paralyzed vocal cord, and I just—you know—if I believed it, I would just, I would do that. If I believed it, you know we're not like that, right? You know how we are. We're alcoholics. Man, we dig in. No, he said no. <laughs> no, he said a really little soft. We have one vocal cord. No when denial becomes your friend <laughs> and so I, I had six operations on my throat I got out of the hospital after two months and I started working on my voice and one doctor said you'll never do it and another someone else said she sends chords, not notes and I, I don't care what that guy says but I knew that no one was going to help me but me to get my voice back now I was also told you can never drink you can't drink you have a terrible head injury But what do they know? Right? I'm drinking in a matter of days. And I must have been very interested to drink that. So that's what happened. Sweetwater was just devastated. Devastated. Look, I wasn't the only one almost a rock star. They were too. And it was ripped away from us. And I say alcoholics are the almost people. You Yes. We almost get the job. We almost keep the house. We almost kept the car. You know? So they say when you get here, you're the almost people. You're almost we the almost rock stars. We were just almost really, really big. We struggled. We had a hard time. We're young, young people and no tools for living and all this pain. And what do you do with all that pain? You use drugs and you drink? And, and you look at each other and you hate each other and it all falls apart. Eventually, the last album we tried to piece together, we, we just couldn't even show up in the studio at the same time. It's was just insane. And, um, and I, I had no voice. It was just a whole patchwork deal, man. It was just a patchwork deal. But we broke up and I thought, good.
1: <laughs> good. They're holding me back. And so, um. <laughs>
0: grow without us. You know, more and more women are coming on the scene and more great music is happening. And, and I'm right up there trying to work the deal and get a, my own deal. And I've learned to write music better and got some bands going and got some got some stuff out there, had some action. I'm doing all right. You know, I'm drinking. Fair enough. Got a new record deal. And a year after my deal, when my record came out, Record company collapsed, and I knew it was me. I knew it was all my fault. I did it. Write down a whole record company. <laughs> now, by this time, I'm completely certifiable, and I'm just walking around out there, you know. And whatever your story, whatever profession you're in, or not, you get to this place where you're just certifiable. You get to a place where you're drunk all the time, when you've been drinking or not. We laughed in Laguna Beach. I lived in Laguna Beach for 17 years in my sobriety. Beautiful. And we used to laugh at the new meeting. Just when California changed that law to where it's 0.8 for drunk, right? That was hysterical meetings. We laughed. We said, man, we just woke up 0.8 every day, you know. we constantly just sort of, you know. Anyway. And that record come to collapsed and, collapse, and it's, it's like more of these people were picking on me, you know. It's just more people picking on me. And so I, I got tired of putting bands together and I started playing my own piano. And I got a bass player who smoked a lot of pot and lost the power of speech, you know. And it's kind of hard to, if you make mistake down there, who's going to know, you know. And I started broken this around and, and it was terrible. It was terrible. I was terrible, and I started to do the one thing I said I'd never do, which I know many of you have had that one promise, you know, at the end of your drink, and I'll never do this, and you do it. One day, you just do it, and you know, along with sleeping with weird people. <laughs> I, yeah. I laughed so hard when I heard a speaker say that she was the weirdo, that the guy woke up I, so I became the weird one. So, um... <laughs> But for me, it was to be drinking and performing, you know, I mean, I used to drink around it, but to actually be performing with food, it, it was like, but it's good. And, um, and life was terrible. I was, I, had, I didn't have a life. Life is gone now, and eventually I, I couldn't go out, eventually I stopped playing, because I couldn't play. By the time I got to Alcox Nosey in that bathing suit, in that condition... <laughs> I couldn't tell you what a C chord on the piano was, and that's very simple for any players. You know how simple, simple
1: So
0: That's what my drinking did, and it just cut away all the people. My mom, my sisters—nothing to do with it. Never loved a man out there. Just didn't know what that was all about. I mean, I know what sex was about, but I didn't know what loving somebody. You know, it says on page fifty-three. I just love knowing that page. It says that we never knew how to have a true partnership. It's the 12 and 12, on page 53, we never knew how to have a true partnership. And I never did. I didn't know how to be a worker among workers, a friend among friends, a band member among band members. I had no idea. I was always Nancy against the world. And you know what? The world won because I'm an alcoholic, and it's a hopeless condition until you find recovery. And recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous is the very best. It's the very best. They're doing all kinds of stuff, You know, they're out there inventing pills, right? Pills for us now, again. One more This comes up periodically every five or 10 years. So like, alcoholics can take this pill. Well, who wants to take a pill and be the same creep you were? Do <laughs> <laughs> you understand? Who wants a pill like that, man? I don't have that personality, need a drink, but not have it do anything to me. I mean, cuckoo, come on. So, <laughs>
1: If you're new, turn yourself
0: in! <laughs> Give it up, lady. We lost brains here, we lost brains. I remember that, uh, it, it was beautiful. My, my early sobriety, I hated everything, and and I, I hated being a newcomer. Being a newcomer in Alcox Anonymous is horrible. I, I mean, my heart just goes out to newcomers' because it's horrible. Everybody just looks down on you. You have no clout. Shut up! And I had a big ego, and I had no clout in AA. It was really awful. (laughs) So I was sitting around with that black eye for a long time. And I had, I'll tell you, it all hit me when I had five days without a drink and without drugs and going to AA meetings. And I woke up that morning with five days without a drink or any drugs. Oh, man. I woke up, and God presented me with an idea. The idea was, I'll bet people in AA don't have big boxes of dope in their closet. (laughs) I had that big Hollywood box of dope. You know what? I'll bet they don't have those in AA. Oh, yeah. Well, so then I decided, like drama queen that I am, that I've got to sell the, you know, if, if there was strychnine in there, I wouldn't sell it to anybody, I'd just throw it, right? But no, it's poison in this box, but let me sell it. So, and I figured a perfect asking price was $30, because Judas sold Jesus his savior for 30 pieces of silver. So I thought, how poetic that I sell my dope for 30 us.
1: <laughs>
0: so I called the other gay man that I ran around with. And this guy had a weird body. I mean, it was strange. This is the kind of fellow who smoked pot and did exercises. Do you understand? When we smoke pot, we are trying to be mellow, yes? This guy would do jumping jacks. So I called him up and I said, Bill, do you, want, do you want to buy the dope for 30 bucks? And I'll tell you, it's like the movies. I just very hung up. He's at the door. And I opened the door and he's doing jumping jack. And I handed him the box. And you know, I've never seen him again. Never got a call from him. He never called and said, Hey, how are you doing with those meetings? How are you feeling? Good for you. Nothing gone like a roadrunner, man. It's gone. Yeah. And um, so then the day goes on, and I'm in an 838A meeting. Like this gathering. Noisy, happy people, right? Everybody's eyes are dead on you, man. They look, right? They check you out. They smile. They're noisy. Hi! We're so grateful to be sober. Hi! Man, it's terrible. And I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I'm dying because I just sold the dope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm a Woodstock queen, man, and I'm with the Brady Bunch of AA. <laughs> and I can't go home again. And I book-described the place. It says that alcoholics will come to know loneliness like few people do. We know loneliness like few people do. We will reach a place where we can't picture life with alcohol, and we can't picture life without it. And it happened to me that night. I'm in this meeting, and I am dying. What have I done? And, you know, they asked for the hand of the newcomer. Oh, here we go again. I put up this little claw. And a woman saw it in the middle of the room, and, and she hit it back for me at the coffee break. And, you know, I saw her coming with that look. And I thought, oh, no. She's going to hit on me. You know. completely insane. I looked terrible for months. Anyway, what she did was she came up to me and she sat down in the empty chair next to me and she she put her arms around my shoulders and she held on to me. Now I don't know no one has touched me till so then. I mean they try but I'm like I'm a cactus. Right? But but this lady put her arm around my shoulder. And she held on to me. And this is the first miracle of my recovery. Because I didn't go away from her. And I felt that arm. I felt a human touch on me. You know, when you're out there a long time, you know, and people touch you for all their own reasons, or they just walk away from you. And this woman, she loved me. I was loving her arm. And I... Uh, then she looked at me and she said, "It's gonna be okay." And then the second miracle was that I believed her. Man, now now we're talking language of the heart, and I let it in. And off everybody, Miss Woodstock is gone for one minute. I'm the kid in the bathroom, just before I picked up the drink. Yes, she said, "It's gonna be okay." And then, then he helped me rent an apartment and moved out of the rock and roll palace and I moved into a bright sunny apartment in Los Angeles with big window of sunlight and I dove into Alcoholics and I dove into to the life here. I dove into the activity and I let you love me. And I smiled and I tried to sound like you did. <laughs> you know, I tried to say I was grateful. I've been saying I'm a grateful alcoholic all these years. You know why I do it? because language is powerful. <coughs> language is powerful. I littered my speech with all the bad language I could, you know. And so I thought, I'm going to try to talk a new way about Nancy. I'm going to say I'm grateful. I'm going to say I'm good. I'm going to say I'm worth something today. Why not? Why not? And so I started to build on that. And then, you know, later on, here I went to college for a while, and I had a professor say to me that language is is as powerful on you as heroin. Words, the words I mean the words we say to ourselves in our in the stream of consciousness, driving down the road, you know, how do you talk to yourself? What do you call yourself? Bad names? And he's sitting there saying this, I'm going, Oh, busted you know, 'cause I'm gonna lie <laughs> You're really a fool. Why'd you do that? What a good friend, you are right. <laughs> That's not that's not goodness. So anyway, I got involved in Alcox Anonymous. I got, I was, my home group was the old Radford Club on Radford Street. And I went there and um, and they saved my life. They said first it was through service, through doing the dishes and getting all the attention, you know, that old broken performer needs a lot of attention, right? So God they gave it to her, so they did, Yeah. You know? God I just I mean, gives us what we need if we surrender to this way of life. And, you know, I got into the cups and washing the cups at Radford, and that was a big deal. You know, I'm washing the cups, and I'm like this baby washing the cups. And, and all the heroes of the new meeting, Rosemary, Mel, Alabama, Mike Ross, all these old times would come into the kitchen they'd give me their cups with cigarettes on the bottom and Nipsey Grimm's on the side, and they'd hand me their cups and they'd say, Oh, Nancy, you're doing a good job. <laughs> and when they said that, this terrible wound, that we bring in to these rooms healed a little bit more. You know, me and I've been around with all the, you know, fancy stuff and thrown up on famous shoes. But when the heroes of the new meeting said I was doing a good job, this wound closed up a little bit more. And something new took its place. New pink skin inside. A new heart started to beat, right? Beautiful. I'm having a good time now at all the new meetings with this. Oh, oh that's, that's a good time. So I'm washing dishes, I'm getting dishpan hands, and Angelo shows up. And he's a skinny drug addict with a great big plural assembly's haircut, right? Well, it was a 70s, so. And he hears him say, for every cup you wash, you get another day of sobriety. Now I had a problem. We say saying the Lord's prayer and race into the kitchen, you know. (laughs) Who's going to get the glory? And you know, those drug drug addicts are fast, man. (laughs) (laughs) But there's no waste in God's economy. That's something Bill wrote. There's no waste in God's economy. And we, we we learned from the seemingly bad. And I got a beautiful lesson in a sober life. Because now I'm racing to the sink with Angelo, and he's fast,
1: man. And I,
0: <laughs> what I got to do was step back from the sink. And Angelo got to move in there. And I got to join the heroes of the noon meeting. And I got to come in and say, oh, Angelo, hey, you're doing a good job. <laughs> That feels even better. And that taught me that service in Alcoholics Anonymous goes on rotation here. That taught me there are no stars here. We love each other. There's real love in AA. Real, impersonal, unconditional love. They promised me when I was new that they would, if I wanted to stay sober, they said, we'll go through everything with you. And man, they have. I've been through surgeries, and my mom dying, and and we all went to school together and I became a college English teacher because you went to school with me, man. You did. We into all kinds of difficulties in school. My first semester, I couldn't read. I had brain damage. (laughs) Just didn't know how to read. So, so my sponsor was a teacher, and I called her up and I said, I had this big sociology textbook, and I called her up and I said, I can't remember the had to the of
1: the sentence, but I guess
0: it's She said, it sounds like you need a meeting. And I went to a meeting, and somehow it all happened. I, got into, I ran into, you know, quantum physics in a science class. Well, I'm not quantum physics, geez. And there's a guy in the meeting. He just happens to be a professor of quantum physics. So, happen to meet. we go out in the half measures room and he helps me get through, you know. And then there's another guy gets to Canterbury, Chaucer, Canterbury Tales. And he's a Jesuit educated, the club manager in Laguna Beach, is Jesuit, Jesuit educated. He's been dying to talk about Chaucer's Canterbury Tales for years. <laughs> so we go to school together, you understand? The same success that I was having in Alcoholics Anonymous my first five years. I practice those principles in the classroom. Show up when you do your work or not. Sit in front and ask questions. And say you're having a good time, regardless. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And ask somebody else how they're doing. Yeah, right? So I became a college English teacher. And then I uh, and then the band got back together. What's left of us <laughs> Well, there's three of us alive. (laughs) And we're we're fatter and we have less hair. But the world has welcomed us back. The world has welcomed us back. Because it's a big, beautiful world. You know? And because we know how to handle things better. Disappointments and go with the flow. And my life is... I don't live a perfect life. I live an everyday life. And I have disappointments and expectations. And... um, We mixed up with the wrong man here and there. (laughs) But I don't think, as I stand here tonight, that there's anything on earth that I would do if it would take me away from you. There are women who call me their sponsor. And I mean, they open up to me. And I am available and I am useful. And I can love them and I can share with them. You know, that started early in my sobriety. And we used to say that a lot, you know it too. If you got two days, go say hello to somebody with two minutes. If you got two days, you got something, right? You know, if I don't drink today, I got something. I got something. Well, it's like four minutes to 10. See, I told you, I could do it. your whole are <laughs> But, um, and I don't have a fabulous clothes. I do I forgot to think of it, you know. <laughs> Usually you're heading for it, but... Um, <laughs> getting for that fabulous where they go, but I don't have that. <laughs> I have learned okay, in El to be a real person. And I have to tell you that that is a real gift of love and the people. And I need the people, I need the steps, I need the principles, I need the people. And I need God. I got a nice 11 step going in the morning, me and God and the cats, right? I have the AA cats, the ubiquitous AA cats, right? And um, and I have a nice little house. And then I get ready in the morning to come out and share with everybody here and outside. It's beautiful. of you guys you're gonna have a fantastic i've seen the lineup and you have got some weekend coming up here thank you Thank you so much Nancy, let's thank her again, it was so great. The newcomer stick. Grateful. Oh. Grateful. This is so much fun. It must be really hard on new people. I was uh, pretty gloomy when I was new, and I didn't really like. It. And by the way, I I uh, I want to congratulate you on this celebration of it brilliance. Really, three days to get mad about it right? <laughs> then I called my sponsor but you know that's the way it goes but anyway so I went to my first meeting that day and I'm sorry i fat so and I'm wearing a bikini and the reason for the bikini was I didn't know I was really going to go to the meeting I didn't know I was really going to get sober that day did not know it I had this crazy brain and it was June which is sort of overcast in California right a lot of times you don't know what's going to be like. So and I had these crazy sleeping habits that you get, you know, at the end of your drinking, as you hit that the bottom of what they used to call the Gelmic curve, because there's a whole physiology to being an alcoholic. There's a whole physiology to having a body that won't let you drink at a certain point without paying a terrible price. You know, it's like, I mean, what they used to say is that if you're an alcoholic like us, Nancy, they said you have. A body that says I'll kill you if you drink and you have a mind that says I'll kill you if you don't drink (laughs) you know what I mean and so what happens to us in our fellowship and by learning to live this way of life is we we learn to negotiate that and to make peace there and we surrender okay 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 I cannot drink anything and I can't take anything that's going to do my work for me I've got to be a person Show me how, right? But anyway, so I I didn't know if I wanted, I didn't get sober. What does that mean? You know, so I have this black eye and I'm fat and I don't know, I have a meeting directory because I had been to a meeting the day before, which I'll tell you about. And I had this meeting directory and actually the day before was so appalling. I mean, I might as well tell you right now, I hated my first meeting. It's just terrible, just terrible. And all first meetings are the worst, aren't they? I mean, the very first meeting, it's like it's like all the pink and white people of the universe show up. And they all saw me coming with my eye. And that morning, I had put, I knew, you know, I was drunk, I was crazy. But I knew I wasn't beautiful. I knew that. I knew my face was out of balance so I put a lot of makeup on the other eye so that my eyes would match. And when you have that Maybelline vodka treble going on, it's hard. So I just kind of was doing the deal and I just overdid it.
1: And then I realized it was, and I had to correct
0: that, so I put makeup on my black eye. Ow. You know, so by the time I left my little Laurel Canyon rock and roll pad, man, I looked like an animal coming out of the Hollywood Hills. And I, and I wore clothes that could have gone on their own if I'd given them directions and money. you Because know, <laughs> I was so cool. And then I and I had to, to take off my speaker jacket now. This was just to show you that I was already covered, but now I'm not. Don't, don't let me forgive you. So I went down and I went into the first meeting, which is all these squeaky, pick and white people, and they're all so noisy.
1: Not unlike the
0: happiness filling the room this evening. And the the one thing I really hated about the first meeting was how early it was. They started at noon. (laughs) I didn't know anybody who was out at noon. You know, I've
1: been out at noon
0: for years. Noon. God. (laughs) Yeah, no, i so, so I was in a bad mood before I got there with the whole noon business in the eye. And, and I walked in, and there were all the pink and white people of the first meeting. Now, I don't know where they go to meetings, but they're always in first meetings, right? And they all, and they all were waiting for me. They, they had plotted this thing because when I showed up, they all said the same thing. They all said exactly the same thing. This is what they said.
1: Hi. It's
0: like they're so glad to see me because I look so terrible. Hi. We're so grateful to be sober. And those two words, grateful to be sober. And those things were capital letters. Grateful to be sober. And you're not rude. And, um. And then they they all said the same thing. And then they popped the question. They all asked the same question. They looked at me with those patronizing eyes. And they said, are you new? (laughs) So, and and as a result of that, I got my first sober feeling, which was resentment. (laughs) until the darn meeting started. You know, did you have to <laughs> hang out and be sort of friendly? It's very painful to be friendly when you're a new, crazy, wet, drunk. So anyway, the meeting unfolded, and I didn't want anything. I didn't hear anything. Didn't want anything. But I left the room that day with uh, with a with something that brought me back, and it was a, a mental picture of the woman who was who was leading the meeting, and I don't know her name. I never have met her since June 27th, 1976. Oh, I wish I had drunk with you. Look at that. I've got two <laughs> Yeah, go to the rafters. They'll teach you right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so I was in this meeting, and, and but the woman who was leading the meeting was absolutely beautiful. I'll tell you that this is why I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous. It wasn't because I was looking for God. I wasn't looking for a better way of life. I, di- I didn't intend to stop drinking. But what brought me back was booze, and this woman who was so beautiful. And I, I don't mean that she was beautiful from the Lancome Special, you know, or Estee Lauder. She was beautiful from the inside out, which is something that you can't even inherit. You get it, one day at a time. Men and women become beautiful here. And you know how we look when we're in the center of the deal. When you're in the center of the deal, there's something powerful about a sober alcoholic. And they don't even need to know that you are to feel that. You know. And this woman's demeanor and expression and the vision of her brought me back to Alcoholics Anonymous the next day in my bathing suit. <laughs> And there's this big drunk in between them, you know. So, I, well, well, I was actually a little drunk. My last drunk was a stupid drunk. I left that meeting, that new meeting. I couldn't wait to get out of there. People were chasing me down the street. Give us 90 days. Just give us 90 days. I had little paper phone numbers blowing out of my hands. And, no, I don't want to call you. Yet. And. Um, and I went and I bought a bottle and I took it back. I was right with I two, my two last friends, and I used that term friends loosely. I, was, I ended up, you know my companions were at the end of my drinking life? There were two gay men who were drug addicts. And they didn't drink my wine and they cleaned my house. My bottle after this AA meeting up to one of these gay guys' pads. And he invented a pad in, in Hollywood Hills. Supposedly some of these old-time movie stars haunted it. And, you know, He used to have lots of drugs talking to haunted old movie stars. Anyway, I just took my bottle up there and put it down and started drinking out of it. And he's sitting across the room from me, sniffing and snorting and peeping and honking and doing his drug deal, you know. And I'm drinking and talking, and I thought this relationship, right? And, uh, and all of a sudden, he took a break and he looked at me and he said, You've really got a drinking problem. <laughs> but, but you know what? It, it just, it was, that was nothing. That was, I, I wasn't halfway through that bottle. I wasn't halfway through that bottle. I really wasn't. But after he said that, There was a big shift in my foundation. It was kind of a wordless, just a collapse. I know you know. I know that each person who's here and intends to stay has had a moment, that last drunk, where there's the shift in your foundation. And you just, you know, they call it being sick and tired of being sick and tired. They call it, you know, where you just, you know, you know, the poos. I had that. And I got up and I left a bottle two-thirds fall a moment of silence <laughs> isn't that sad or, you know how we are didn't you used to do clean up all the time i always did clean up at the parties. oh i'll clean up i don't mind cleaning up <laughs> We get a little fussy about clean up sober, but drink
1: it, huh? <laughs>
0: So anyway, I walked out that day, and, and I came back the next day in my bikini, and, and you know, I, that was my first sober day, and I didn't know it was going to be. It was June 28, 1976. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's an absolute fantastic journey in Alcoholics anonymous for each one of us. And, and to you new friends, I don't know what's going to happen to you. I don't know what your sober life is going to be like, but I know that it's going to be good. Because i that's what I know about people in Alcoholics Anonymous. We live beautiful lives, even sometimes when the bottom's falling out. Isn't that the magic of it? The bottom falls out sometimes sober when you're right in the middle of the deal and you laugh your way through it. Come on. You know, it's just like another world. It's beautiful. But I was never headed here. You know, I was never headed here in my conscience was not to come be a sober woman and Alcoholics Never, ever, ever. I was a star. I was an artiste. I had, you know, musical things to say and do and, you know, this was not my plan. I, I was born in Glendale and I, I used to say I grew up, but I've never grown up yet, so I was born in Glendale. And I say that I'm a born alcoholic because this this is my theory now. There's there's, there's Nancy's ideas and there's AA ideas. So you'll just have to figure out which one is which but, you know, That will always drive you into the brook when you go to a speaker meeting. Yeah. Because my mom carried me for ten months.
1: You
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> I was in the womb, gone, no. For drinking. And I and so I started, I got tired of trying to be good. I just got mad. I got mad from the primordial place deep in us where we suddenly look around and say, Hey, this sucks. <laughs> you know? It happens a lot at 13. And I was just in the bathroom at Catholic school going, This sucks. And I had that adolescent rage. You know what they say about adolescents? They say that when you turn 13, <laughs> aliens enter your bedroom, and they take your brain, and they bring it back when you're 18. Well, they they missed my place. (laughs) So anyway, I said, I'm I'm 13. I'm too tall to have a boyfriend at Catholic school, and I'm a geek, and I don't know anything, and so I started running around with the other gangsters at Catholic school, and... uh, (laughs) i wanted to have some fun. And so we did. And we had that vodka and orange juice in the bathroom and that first drink. Oh, my goodness. Just beautiful. The first drink that gives you the relief and the fun. Man, I was a fun drunk for many, many years. I truly loved it. Believe me, believe me, if you knew, if there was that kind of fun in my body, I would never have come to AA or stayed here. But it's gone. They told me that it's gone and there's no reverse on our disease. Once the train is rolling, there's no reverse. You can't be cured. We can only treat it with total absence. So, but boy, it was, it yeah, so it made me feel really great right away. So that's why I say I'm a born alcoholic because it really worked. It wasn't what it was doing to me, what it was doing for me that made all the difference. And I looked in the mirror with just a little vodka in me, and I looked in the mirror and hey, you know, I was cute. <laughs> I had big zits, but I was cute. Not chested, but cute, you know. And I, I didn't look like it Then. It was always like you with the pretty blonde straight hair. That was the thing. So, but I, you know, but it didn't matter with the vodka. I was cute, you know. But more important than being cute was the feeling that you know I have learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, I had guts. Because I was just a scared kid. I was a scared kid. But when I had that vodka in me, I had some guts, had some courage. Then the bell rang, went back to religion class, and I turned my will and my life over to that experience of this vodka in me. And the next year, I was in public school. You know. (laughs) And my mom was kind of, you know, I was was, uh, too much for my mom. You know, she dealt with the other two. And there I was, just, I was just burning rubber through my mom's life. Yes? And I'm in public school, and now I'm ratting my hair really high, so I look like a bad girl, you know, scary. They used to rat their hair really high and put razor blades in the hairdo to be ready. I was just scared to put razor blades in my hairdo. But I wanted to look like it was terrible, like it was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I wore tons of makeup. You know, we had the Elizabeth Taylor black eyes and and white lipstick. Do you remember the white lipstick? (laughs) Uh, It's coming back. Uh, Everything else came back. And I became a thief. I started to steal. Now, our literature talks about people like me and the victims and the angry ones. Because we think the world knows us a living. Guess what? Nobody owes me anything. But I had to find that out in Alcoholics Anonymous. I did not know that. At first I heard it through a funny share. Somebody was talking about putting a note on the refrigerator for the alcoholic that she lived with. And it said, Dear, uh, dear Joe, I don't know you anything. It's love, God. <laughs> but I mean, I, I didn't know that. I thought I was cheated and I was mad about it and I became a thief to take what I wanted, and, but I was a nice thief. I, I didn't steal from my friends. Uh, I, I fancied myself, do uh, you remember Robin Hood? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Robin Hood stole from the rich and gave to the poor, didn't he? Yeah, it was a nice, like, I will help you, except, I was a half measure Robin Hood. <laughs> I'm stealing from the Broadway and Macy's, and it stays right here.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, and we're all laughing at this. You know, it is so beautiful because we discover the laughter of our lives. So anyways, I'm, and I'm also a bad uh, high school student, terrible high school student. Mm-hmm. Breaking my mother's heart all over the place. I saw my first therapist when I was 15 years old and uh, it meant nothing to me, absolutely nothing. Because I already had decided how I wanted to live. I discovered the coffee houses in Hollywood. Now when you're growing up and see, red, Glendale was a redneck little bird back in the 60s. So running away to Hollywood was fabulous. And, and the coffee houses in Hollywood Well, I got to tell you, because so many of you are so young, and I get to do this now because i got some miles on me, but I get to tell you that the coffee houses in Hollywood were not Starbucks. (laughs) They were dark little joints. Yeah, right? Yeah, You remember? They were dark little joints where there was smoke in there and you stuck to all the furniture. He stuck to the walls, he stuck to furniture. And it was great. I loved it, you know. And there was all these other people like me and you. All the other losers were in it. There was like, there were like artists and writers and politicals and people on the outside. The people who have that special thing inside that says no. The, the outside people. And that was, it, it was kind of like, you know, uh, before a picture of the A. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm just telling you the way it is. Somebody asked me when I was new, they said, who do you think we are? I said, I don't know. They said, we're the people you drank with. And sure enough, you are. I understand you perfectly. We look at each, uh, each other and we barely mean to say, how was your day? We just know. There yeah, you are. Right. He's going to meet again. He looks at you. Yeah, I know. just your day, <laughs> they don't do that out there, some of them do, but we have uh, a certain special thing, and I've always hung out with alcoholics and addicts, I just love us, I never tried to be a social drinker in my whole life, ever, never tried to put on the dog and clean it up, I just knew I was on the edge, and that was it, so here I am, a young kid, running away to Hollywood all the time, with these coffee houses, and sing. the greatest thing that was there was the music, now I've, I'm a singer, I'm a born singer, musician, God gave me a gift, I think he gave me music until I could find a drink. Because <laughs> music has pulled me through my whole life. and meant everything to me. So I'm in these coffee houses. Great people, great atmosphere, great ambiance, and the best part is the music. The music of the 60s, which was just tearing it up. This is rock and roll now. This is the birth of real rock and roll, right? Just coming out of the 50s and then into this thing and it becomes a voice, becomes a people's music. I don't know if it still is that, but it became, it was our voice. And the war, and the women's movement, and all this stuff is gone. Well, I didn't really know too much about that. But what I really loved was the atmosphere of protesting. I did. It's a kindred spirit. (laughs) No. But I I was good. You know, in the 60s, remember you could just open your door, and if you listen really carefully, you could hear someone somewhere screaming, No! Everyone had a, everyone had something. So I loved that atmosphere, and I love to go to these peace marches and have drugs. And all. So that was my scene. That was me standing around singing, puff the magic dragon. But you missed those days, huh? Yeah, baby. So I met these musicians in there, and I was, about to graduate from high school, and my life changed forever. There were just crazy musicians. They they were the first, before the word multicultural was ever invented, these musicians appeared. It's a wonderful group in a little coffee house called the Scarab. It sounds like scab, doesn't it? The Scarab. It was down by LA City College, and they were all jammed in there, and they played everything. They had a cello and bongos. And they had a violin, and a flute, and a lepifinal guitar that all kinds of percussion. They were doing it, they were doing it, and they had every color, skin, everyone was colorblind in this band. It's beautiful.
1: And I wandered in
0: one night, and I just, oh, I was sucked into this cacophony of sound, man. which oh, is beautiful. You know, like Chuck Berry and these guys had been jamming with three guitars and drums forever. Now this is a rock and roll jam with these instruments. <laughs> It was so much fun, checking out the cello for the hippies,
1: but I'm getting ahead of my
0: story. They were called Jay Walker and the Pedestrians, and I stood up in the middle of the room and I started singing with them. I just sang right out of the center of me, where I lived, and it was beautiful, and we really caught it, man, we just caught it, we just did it, beautiful. Then we actually played a real gig once, but <laughs> it was so hard to stop and start. <laughs> so, too many people, too many keys. <laughs> wow. But <laughs> eight of us broke away from Jay Walker, and I got bumped out of Glendale High School. They said, goodbye, i never come back here again. Here's your degree. Which I can hardly read, right? Eight of us broke away from Jay Walker, and we set up in a little house in Silver Lake. Little Italian family. Second generation Italian family. In other words, they came from the old country and they had all country life there. They had there was a, the shop, the TV repair shop, and the house. It was a neighborhood place. I mean, really, you go up to the front door, over the front door it's a big sign with red letters. Anthony's TV and Lawnmower Repair. So we're gonna be rock stars from this place, so you walk in the door. And the first room is the tv repair shop and there's every kind of tv and radio going back as far as radio go just everything floor to ceiling and there's bicycles and there's roller skates and there's lawnmowers and there's a cat in the corner always giving birth to kittens and there's, a... there's a guy in the other corner with a soldering gun and a cigarette his whole life 30 years this guy's a... They so walk into the next room, which is a little yellow kitchen, and this is like the heart of the, of the house, right? Yes? A heartbeat, the kitchen. And there's always coffee on the stove, and there's wine on the table, and there's Italian cookies, and there's one wall with floor-to-ceiling pictures of the kids, and awards, and ribbons and stuff. It's like a home here, and it's Anne and Anthony. Now, they're like 4 feet 10 all the time, and they, and they, and they look up at me, and they go, oh, She's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you know? And I'm taken into this home with a mom and a dad. See, I don't know about a dad. I'm looking for a dad like all my life till then, and now there's a dad there. Oh, she's a so beautiful. And then in the next room, we put the band. Okay, so there's eight, 18 to 21-year-old strapping guys, like some of the buff dudes in here tonight, right? These kind of guys don't fill up this little living room. We broke the couch, we've got drums in there, we've got amplifiers in there. There's no room for me, so I'm singing back in the kitchen, right? And this band was born like that in Silver Lake in this little house, you know? And we call ourselves Sweetwater. And we just went from there to the whiskey go-go.
1: And,
0: you know, people say there's no such thing as an overnight success. Yes, there is, and it depends on the time. It depends on the time. It was like God said, this is the way it's going to be with these people. And he took me out of high school and he dropped me into the Whiskey and where we opened for Janis Joplin, and Big Brother and the Holding Company. Eleven record companies came and bid for us. That never happens anymore. So we're history in the making, right? Yes? Beautiful. <coughs> Inside of me, I'm just like, I love this. I'm an alcoholic. You know, I'm crazy with this. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa great we go on the road we play everywhere all over the country We playing all the big rock and roll rules in our country we played all these big all this legendary stuff we played it all everywhere we played with all the rock and roll legends i've got stories i've got stories what a marathon speaker i could be I've got stories. So I'm gonna tell you about me because that's the way it works. That's how it works in here. Right? I'll just tell you my experience. I did it inside of me. I had I was, this was too much. This was just unbelievable, this was a success. Because I had two things going on, and you might recognize this. On the wrong right hand, I felt so much better than everybody who'd ever been mean to me. It's like, you missed out, baby. I bet you're sorry you pushed me in the sixth grade, aren't you? You know. But at the same time, I had a terrible fear that you would find out I was no good. That I was a big phony. And I, I, you know, we try to teach each other constantly that we live a life of love and service and moderation. Yes? But I have this dramatic, crazy personality. So I'm either on top or on the bottom. And our literature describes that perfectly. I'm either up here or I'm down here. And so that's the way I'm handling this, what's going on with us. We were the first band to take the stage at Woodstock. And they cut us out of the movie.
1: Yeah,
0: I hate when that happens too. You know that the only place that's funny is ate.
1: Nancy, part two.
0: have something and you stay in the chair, we don't know what kind of blessings are going to rain down on you, but they're going to come. I also, in that accident, permanently lost the use of one of my vocal cords. So I came out of this accident and I lost the only reason I had to live, because I was a born singer. I wasn't anything else. There was nothing I could do or wanted to do. And now I couldn't do that one thing. So what was that like? That was so bad I couldn't look at it. I didn't believe it. I had this paralyzed vocal cord and I just, you know, if I believed it, I would just, I would do that if I believed it. You know we're not like that, right? You know how we are? We're alcoholics, man. We dig in. No. He said, no. No. He said, no, stop. You have one vocal cord. No. (laughs) That's when denial becomes your friend, you know. <laughs> And so I, I had six operations on my throat. I got out of the hospital after two months, and I started working on my voice, and one doctor said, you'll never do it, and then someone else said, she sends cords, not notes. And I, I don't care what that guy says. But I knew that no one was gonna help me but me to get my voice back. No, I was also told you can never drink. You can't drink. You have a terrible head injury. But what do they know? Right? I'm drinking in a matter of days. And I must have been very interested to drink time. <laughs> So that's what happened. Sweetwater was just devastated. Devastated. Look, I wasn't the only one almost a rock star. They were too. And it was ripped away from us. And if they say alcoholics are the almost people. <laughs> This? Yes, almost. We almost get the job. We almost keep the house. We almost kept the car, you know. So they say when you get here, you're the almost people. You're, almost, you're the almost rock stars. just almost really, really big. We struggled. We had a hard time. We're young, young people and no tools for living and all this pain. And, What do you do with all that pain? You use drugs and you drink and you you look at each other and you hate each other and it all falls apart. Eventually, the last album we tried to piece together, we just couldn't even show up in the studio at the same time. It's just insane. And and I I had no voice. It was just a whole patchwork deal, man. It was just a patchwork deal. But we broke up and I thought, good. (laughs) We broke good. They're holding me
1: back. And so,
0: um... Meanwhile, rock and roll is continuing to grow without us. You know, more and more women are coming on the scene and more great music is happening. And and I'm right up there trying to work the deal and get my own deal. And I've learned to write music better and got some bands going and got some got some stuff out there had some action I'm doing alright you know I'm drinking got a new record deal and a year after my deal when my record came out record company collapsed and I knew it was me I knew it was all my fault I did it brought down a whole record company (laughs) now by this time I'm completely certifiable and I'm just walking around out there you know and whatever your story whatever profession you're in and other you get to this place where you just just them. you get to a place where you're drunk all the time whether you've been drinking or not we laughed in laguna beach i lived in laguna beach for 17 years and my sobriety beautiful and we used to laugh at the new meeting just when california changed that law to where it's 0.8 for drunk right that was hysterical meetings we laughed we said man we just woke up 0.8 every day you know <laughs> we're constantly just sort of, you know, anyway, <laughs> after that record company to class and it's it like more of these people were picking on me, you know, it's just more people picking on me and so I, I got tired of putting bands together and I started playing my own piano and I got a bass player who smoked a lot of pot and lost the power of speech, you know, it's kind of hard too if you made mistakes down there, who's going to know, you know, <laughs> and I started working this around and, and it was terrible. Terrible. I was terrible. And I started doing the one thing I said I'd never do, which I know many of you have had that one promise you know, at the end of your drink, and I'll never do this, and you do it. One day you just do it. And you know, along with sleeping with weird people. (laughs) I I laughed so hard when I heard the speaker say that she was the weirdo that the guy woke up. I I became the weird one.
1: So,
0: um, <laughs> but for me it was to be drinking and performing. You know, I mean I used to drink around it, but to actually be performing with food, it, it was like, but it came. And um, and life was terrible. I, was just, I had I didn't have a life. Life is gone now. And eventually I, I couldn't go out. Eventually I stopped playing because I couldn't play. By the time I got to, to Alcatraz in that bathing suit, in that condition. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what a C chord on the piano was, and that's very simple for any players. You know how simple it is. So that's what my drinking did, and it just cut away all the people. My mom, my sisters, nothing to do with it. Never loved a man out there. Just didn't know what that was all about. I mean, I knew what sex was about, but I didn't know what loving somebody. You know, it says on page 53, I just love knowing that page. It says that we never knew how to have a true partnership. It's the 12 and 12, page 53. We never knew how to have a true partnership. And I never did. I didn't know how to be a worker among workers, a friend among friends, a band member among band members. I had no idea. I was always Nancy against the world. And you know what? The world won. Because I'm an alcoholic. And it's a hopeless condition until you find recovery. And recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous is the very best. It's the very best. They're doing all kinds of stuff, you know. They're out there inventing pills, right? Pills for us now. Again, one more. This comes up periodically every five or ten years. Somebody's like, "Alcoholics can take this pill." Well, who wants to take a pill and be the same creep you were? Do you understand? Who wants a pill like that, man? I don't have that personality. Need a drink, but not have it do anything to me. I mean, ooh, come on. So... If you're new, turn yourself in! <laughs> Give it up, lady. <laughs> we lost brains here, we lost brains anyway. I remember that, uh, it, it was beautiful. My, my early sobriety, I hated everything, and and I, I hated being a newcomer. Being a newcomer in alcohol Anonymous is horrible. I, I mean, my heart just goes out to newcomer's eyes, because it's horrible. Everybody just looks down on you. You have no clout. Shut up! And I had a big ego, and I had no clout in AA. It was really awful. (laughs) So I was sitting around with that black eye for a long time. and I had, I'll tell you, it all hit me when I had five days without a drink and without drugs and going to AA meetings. And I woke up that morning with five days without a drink or any drugs. Oh, man. I woke up, and God presented me with an idea. The idea was, I'll bet people in AA don't have big boxes of dope in their closet. (laughs) I had that big Hollywood box of dope. You know what? I'll bet they don't have those in AA. Well, so then I decided, like drama queen that I am, that I've got to sell the, do- you know, <laughs> if, if there was strychnine in there, I wouldn't sell it to anybody, I'd just throw it, right? But no, it's poison in this box, but let me sell it. So, and I figured a perfect asking price was $30, because a sold Jesus his savior for 30 pieces of silver. So I thought, how poetic that I sell my dope for it us. So I called the other gay man that I ran around with. And this guy had a weird body. I mean, it was strange. This is the kind of fellow who smoked pot and did exercises. Do you understand? When we smoke pot, we are trying to be mellow, yes? this guy would do jumping jack so I called him up and I said Bill do you want do you want to buy the dope for 30 bucks and I came minutes, it's like the movies i just barely hung up he's at the door and I opened the door and he's doing jumping jack and I handed him in the box and you know I've never seen him again never got a call from him he never called and hey how are you doing with those meetings how you feeling good for you nothing Gone like a roadrunner, man. Yeah. And um, so then the day goes on and I'm in an 838A meeting. Like this gathering. Noisy, happy people, right? Everybody's eyes are dead on you, man. They look, right? They check you out. They smile. They're noisy. Hi! We're so grateful to be sober. Hi! Man, it's just terrible. And I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I'm dying because I just sold the dope. (laughs) (coughs) I'm a Woodstock queen, man, and I'm with the Brady Bunch of AA. and I can't go home again. And I book described the place that says that alcoholics will come to know loneliness like few people do. We know loneliness like few people do. We will reach a place where we can't picture life with alcohol and we can't picture life without it. And it happened to me that night I'm in this meeting and I am dying. What have I done? And you know, they asked for the hand of the newcomer. Oh, here we go again. I put up this little claw. And a woman saw it in the middle of the room. And, and she hit it back for me at the coffee break. And you know, I saw her coming with that look. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, she's going to hit on me. You know? <laughs> insane. I looked terrible for months. Anyway, what she did was she came up to me and she sat down in the empty chair next to me and she she put her arms around my shoulders and she held on to me. Now I don't know no one has touched me till then. I mean they try but I'm like I'm a cactus, right? But but this lady put her arm around my shoulder and she held on to me and this is the first miracle of my recovery because I didn't go away from that and I felt that arm, I felt a human touch on me you know, when you're out there a long time you know, and people touch you for all their own reasons or they just walk away from you, and this woman she loved me, there was loving her arm and uh, then she looked at me and she said going to be okay. And then the second miracle was that I believed her. Man, now now we're talking language of the heart and I let it in. And I everybody, Miss Woodstock is gone, for one minute I'm the kid in the bathroom, just before I picked up the drink. Yes? She said, it's going to be okay. And then then he helped me rent an apartment and moved out of the Rock and Roll Palace and moved into a bright, sunny apartment in Los Angeles with peak windows, sunlight, and I dove into Alcoholics Anonymous and I dove into the life here, I dove into the activity, and I let you love me, and I smiled and I tried to sound like you did, you know, I tried to say I was grateful, I've been saying I'm a grateful alcoholic all these years, you know why I do it? because language is powerful. (coughs) Language is powerful. I littered my speech with all the bad language I could, you know. And so I thought, I'm going to try to talk a new way about Nancy. I'm going to say I'm grateful. I'm going to say I'm good. I'm going to say I'm worth something today. Why not? Why not? And so I started to build on that. And then, you know, later on here, I went to college for a while and I had a professor say to me that language is is as powerful on you as heroin. Words, the words, I mean the words we say to ourselves in our, in the stream of consciousness, driving down the road, you know, how do you talk to yourself? What do you call yourself, bad names? And he's sitting there saying this, I'm going, oh, busted, you know, cause I'm running around that. <laughs> You're really a fool, why'd you do that? What a friend you are that. Right. <laughs> that's not, that's not goodness. So anyway, I got involved in our Anonymous. I got, I was, my home group was the old Radford Club on Radford Street, and I went there and uh, and they saved my life. They say first it was through service, through doing the dishes and getting all the attention. You know that old broken performer needs a lot of attention, right? But so God, they gave it to her, so they did. Yeah, God, I just want it gives us what we need if we surrender to this way of life. And, you know, I got into the cups and washing the cups at Radford, and that was a big deal. You know, I'm washing the cups, and I'm like this baby, washing the cups. And, and all the heroes of the new meeting, Rosemary, Mel, Al-Bam, Mike Ross, all these old times, would come into the kitchen, they'd give me their cups with cigarettes on the bottom, and Nipsey grims on the side, and they'd hand me their cups, and they'd say, Oh, Nancy, you're doing a good job. And when they said that, this terrible wound, that we bring in to these rooms heal a little bit more. You know, me and I've been around with all this, you know, fancy stuff and thrown up on famous shoes. But when the heroes of the noon meeting said I was doing a good job, this wound closed up a little bit more. And something new took its place, new pink skin inside. A new heart started to beat, right? Beautiful. I'm having a good time now at all the new meetings with this. Oh, oh that's it. Hey, that's a good time. So I'm washing dishes. I'm getting dishpan hands. And Angelo shows up. And he's a skinny drug addict with a great big plural 70s haircut, right? Well, it was a 70s, so... And he hears them say, For every cup you wash, you get another day of sobriety. Now I had a problem. <laughs> we say in the Lord's prayer and race into the kitchen, you know. <laughs> Who's going to get the glory? And you know those drug, those drug addicts are fast, man. <laughs> but there's no waste in God's economy. That's something Bill wrote. There's no waste in God's economy. And we, we, we learn from the seemingly bad, and I got a beautiful lesson in a sober life, because now I'm racing to the sink with Angelo, and he's fast, man. And I, what I got to do was step back from the sink, and Angelo got to move in there, and I got to join the Heroes of the Noon Meeting, and I got to come in and say, oh, Angelo, hey, you're doing a good job. <laughs> That feels even better. And that taught me that service in alcohol Anonymous goes on rotation here. That taught me there are no stars here. We love each other. There's real love in AA, real, impersonal, unconditional love. They promised me when I was new that they would, if I wanted to stay sober, they said, we'll go through everything with you. And man, they have. I've been through surgeries, and my mom dying, and school, and. We all went to school together and became a college English teacher. Because you went to school with me, man. You did. You ran into all kinds of difficulties in school. My first semester, I couldn't read. I had brain damage. <laughs> 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 Just didn't know how to read. So, so my sponsor was a teacher and I called her up and I said, I had this big sociology textbook and I called her up and I said, I can't remember the end of the beginning of the
1: sentence. So
0: she so said, "Sounds like you need a meeting." And I went to a meeting, and somehow it all happened. I got, into, I ran into, you know, quantum physics in a science class. Well, I'm not quantum physics, jeez. And there's a guy in the meeting. He just happens to be a professor of quantum physics. So, after the meeting. We go out in the half measures room, and he helps me get through, you know. And then there's another guy I get to Canterbury Chaucer, Canterbury Tales. And he's a Jesuit-educated, the club manager in Laguna Beach is Jesuit- Jesuit-educated. He's been dying to talk about Chaucer's Canterbury Tales for years. Then <laughs> so we go to school together. You understand? The same success that I was having in Alcoholics Anonymous my first five years, I practiced those principles in the classroom. Show up, when you do your work or not, sit in front and ask questions. And say you're having a good time, regardless right yeah yeah and ask somebody else how they're doing yeah right so i became a college english teacher and then i uh and then the band got back together what's left of us (laughs) well there's three of us alive and we're and we're fatter and we have less hair but the world has welcomed us back the world has welcomed us back because it's a big beautiful world you know and because we know how to handle things better disappointments and go with the flow and my life is i don't live a perfect life i live an everyday life and i have disappointments and expectations and um get we mixed up with the wrong man here and there and, you know.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i don't think as i stand here tonight that there's anything on earth that I would do if it would take me away from you. There are women who call me their sponsor. And I mean, they open up to me, and I am available, and I am useful, and I can love them, and I can share with them. You know, that started early in my sobriety. And we used to say that a lot, you know it If you got two days, go say hello to somebody with two minutes. If you got two days, you got something, right? You know, if I don't drink today, I got something. I got something. Well, it's like four minutes to ten. See, I told you I could wear it, I could do your whole week on it. <laughs> But um and I don't have a fabulous clothes. I don't. I forgot to think of it, you know. <laughs> Usually you're heading for it, but um <laughs> getting for that fabulous where they go. But I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> I have learned I've learned to be a real person. And I have to tell you that that is a real gift of love and the people. And I need the people. I need the steps. I need the principles. I need the people. And I need God. I got a nice 11th step going in the morning, me God and the cats, right? I have the AA cats, the ubiquitous AA cats, and um, and I have a nice little house, and then I get ready in the morning to come out and share with everybody, here and outside. It's beautiful. So, I love you guys. You're going to have a fantastic, I've seen the lineup, and you have got some weekend coming up here. Thank you. so much Nancy. Let's thank her again. It was so great.